Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Let's uh, turn in our Bible to Acts chapter 13. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to Acts chapter 13. If this is uh, your first time to be with us or first time in a long time, we're going through the book of Acts. And so as we go through the book of Acts, just so you have some context and know where we're at, Acts picks up where the life of Jesus uh, stops his ascension into heaven after his resurrection and covers a 30-year period of this uh, really miraculous growth of the first church. It really begins in Jerusalem, and then because of persecution, the church spreads. And so when we pick up in Acts chapter 13 today, we're actually going to cover two chapters, so we're going to move really, really fast today. But when we pick up in Acts chapter 13, we see a real change in the church. Instead of Jerusalem kind of being the hub of this movement we know as Christianity, it really moves to the north uh, to a a city we know as Antioch. And so, and we really change and see the central figure uh, being the Apostle Paul as he carries out this ministry really for the rest of the book. And so we pick up in Acts chapter 13. Verses 1 through 3. Again, we're going to cover two chapters, but I'm going to uh, skip over some things and try to fill in the gaps for you just a little bit. It says in Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod and Saul. Now it's interesting, Barnabas is a Jew from the island of Cyprus, which will make a little bit more sense in just a, a few moments. The next two characters who are mentioned in the story, these are leaders at the church at Antioch, like preachers, teachers, like staff members that we would have here, Uh, Simon and Lucius. And so uh, some would say that uh, Simon may have been the man that carried the cross of Jesus. Both Simon and Lucius would have been uh, dark-skinned men from Africa. And so the church in Antioch is a diverse church, and we see God moving and working. And then an interesting character, by a man by the name of Manan, what you may not know about him is he worked for Herod Antipas. And so if you know the story of John the Baptist, John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. And so this man was uh, very close to the beheading, obviously, of John the Baptist, the trial of Jesus Christ, but he was so impacted by all of those events the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He becomes a key leader uh, in the church there uh, in Antioch. Now, uh, we're going to put a, uh, look at, let's look at verse 2. It says, while they were worshiping, in other words, while the church at Antioch was worshiping, the Lord um, in fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I had called them. Now, this is a very important, important piece. The church at Antioch is worshiping, they're fasting, and God speaks through the power of the Holy Spirit to Barnabas and to Saul, and he has a work for them. He is sending them to do something, this first missionary journey. Now, I want to set a few ground rules here. Here's the first thing that you need to know about our God. Our God has always been a sending God. You understand that? You have to assume, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to assume you are sent because our God is a sending God, just like he did in the Old Testament with Abraham, sending him from Ur of the Chaldees to a land that he would show them, just like he did with Moses, and just like he's doing uh, with Barnabas and Saul. And God has a race for them to run. But, But I want you to see, and please listen, Barnabas and Saul are going to go on this first missionary journey, and when it comes to church planning and evangelism, these guys are like Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. 
I mean, if you're not a golfer, then you, you, you at least know those names. I mean, these are the best, and, and, and you don't want to compare yourself to them, meaning God's got a different race for you to run. You understand that? And there's some swing tips that we can learn from these guys. We're going to watch how they do ministry today, and there are going to be some things that we can pick up that can really help us because you can read this, and you can get loaded down with a lot of guilt thinking, boy, I can never, I can never do what they do or go and spend two years on a mission. I can never do that. Well, well that's not the point. The point is really we can learn some techniques from these guys that God can use in our life so that we can live sent uh, in our life as, as well. Now, here we go. We have a map in your notes, and we're going to put this map up on the screen. And I know this is going to seem a little academic, and we don't usually do this, but we're going to cover a lot of ground, and I think it's really important very quickly for us to kind of see uh, what's happening. Plus, i got a new pointer, and I'm dying to use it, just to, just to be frank with you. And so we see here, Acts begins here in Jerusalem, Right? And so the day of Pentecost, after the persecution, you see Acts beginning to, the story of Acts begins to move north into Syria. So if you were here last week, Saul, it was on the road to Damascus where he's going to persecute the church that this event takes place. And then now in chapter 13, we've just moved on up the coast into Syria to the city of Antioch. And God is doing an amazing work at this church at Antioch. And so it's at the church of Antioch that Paul and Barnabas are called out to ministry. And so they begin on their first missionary, the church's first missionary church, and they go to their first stop, an island we know as, as Cyprus. Now, and it wasn't just Paul and Barnabas. There was actually a third person who was on the trip. John Mark was on the trip. He's a nephew of Barnabas. Barnabas was from Cyprus, so maybe Barnabas is thinking, hey, we'll start here. I know these folks. This is going to go really, really well. Well, it doesn't. Uh, they minister at, uh, in Cyprus, and uh, from the outside looking in, it would look like it isn't successful. They encounter one person, a man by the name of Sergius Paulus, who is very interested in the claims of Christ and interested in the teaching of Christ, but uh, he has, uh, as a part of his entourage, as a part of his cabinet, he's a Roman official, he has a, a sorcerer. Uh, a man by the name of Bar-Jesus, and he just, everything that Paul and Barnabas say, he refutes, and he makes it very difficult for them. And so they leave Cyprus having one uh, convert, Sergius Paulus. And so, so they leave there on this first missionary journey, and they make their way up to the southern coast of modern-day Turkey to Perga here. Now, at Perga, here's something interesting that happens. John Mark leaves, and we don't know why he leaves. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us. Is he homesick? We don't know. Um, we know John Mark was uh, a relative of, of Barnabas, and maybe he saw Paul taking leadership, and he didn't sign up for that. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he thought if he was going to step out and be sent and be used of God, there would be greater success in what they happened so, than what they had. So he's a little disappointed. I, I don't know. And so he leaves here, and he heads back to Jerusalem. So the group of three is now down to two. And so they make their way, according to Scripture, up to uh, uh, another city called Poseidon Antioch, not the same as where they're coming from here. This would be uh, it was a tough track, 4,000 feet above sea level. They go up to Antioch. And there, this is interesting, they make their way to a synagogue. In other words, there were Jews gathering already uh, that were there in Poseidon Antioch. And they just came in. Paul and Barnabas came in, sat in a meeting, kind of like this. The rabbi would have opened up in prayer. He would have read Scripture. And then he would have invited the guests to see if they had a word of encouragement. That's what the Scripture says. So the rabbi says to Paul and Barnabas, do either of you have a word of encouragement for us? And Paul is like, do I? 
And he jumps up and he starts with the story of Moses and talks about what God did through the children of Israel, how he brought them out of captivity, how he brought them into their own land, how he gave them kings, King David. And from King David, the direct descendant of King David would be Messiah, Jesus Christ. He talks about the trial, the crucifixion, and his resurrection and how now there is hope for salvation for everyone in Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's interesting. This is this is the first Sabbath day here in Antioch. And so the people liked what Paul said so much, they said, could you come back next week and talk to us? So that's a clear open door, right? And that's what we really have to do in ministry. And this is kind of a, that's, this is kind of a swing tip for you in evangelism. We don't barge doors down. We just go in doors that God opens for us, right? We see that. And so God opens up a door. He, they invite them back. And it says, the Scripture says that on the next Sabbath day, everybody in the town showed up. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And they all show up. And so you see Jews and Gentiles at Poseidon, Antioch, who are coming to faith in Christ. But as what happens oftentimes, there begins to be a group that has strong opposition because you can see there are Jews that are saying, well, listen, these are, these are all of our people, and they're beginning to follow a different leader. So that became a threat. So they run Paul and Barnabas out of town. And so they shake the dust off of their clothing, and they move to a city known as Iconium uh, in Turkey. And so here in Iconium, they show up. There's a synagogue uh, there, and they do the same thing. They arrive at the synagogue. Uh, they speak the word of God from the Old Testament, show how Jesus fulfills all these prophecies, and they see a great movement of God. Many people come to faith in Christ, and they stay here in Iconium for a while until they understand that there is a plot. They uncover a plot in Iconium. Again, these Jews who did not believe, saw them as a threat, uh, riled up some folks, and they had a plot to kill by stoning Paul and Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas say, check please, and they head out uh, to the region of Lyconia. Now, and to the first city of Lystra, why am I pointing this out to you? Some of you say, I don't think this, this is that important. It's very important. Lyconia is the wild, wild west of the Roman Empire. This is at the, the far end of the Roman Empire. I mean, these people are borderline barbarians. And so when, when Paul and Barnabas show up, there is no synagogue here. Uh, these, aren't, uh, these aren't educated people. This is, again, this is the wild, wild west, all right? So, so they're there. And as they're there, they gather a group of people. Paul is speaking and teaching, and there is a man in the assembly, a man who's there listening, who's lame. And so Paul sees that he has faith to be healed, and so that man is healed. And upon this man's healing, all of the people in Lyconium, in the city of Lystra, again, they think that these are Greek gods that have come down to their town. And they call uh, Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, who is a chief speaker. And so they're trying to worship them. They're bringing out oxen to sacrifice and putting garlands over their head, and they're worshiping, worshiping them as gods. Now, let's just stop for just a moment. They'd been treated like a dog everywhere they'd been, right? And now, hmm, there's something in us that kind of likes that, right? I mean, to be treated like a king. And, and maybe they could have said, hey, for a little bit we could let this play out, but they don't. You see, just as persecution can be a threat, so can praise, you see, to receive that and not give that to the Lord. And so Paul and Barnabas don't do that. They say, listen, we're mere men. We've just come here to teach you. One of the things, if you, and I challenge you to go back and read chapter 13 and 14 with your family. One of the things that's fascinating in Lystra is they don't start with Moses. And when Paul begins to speak, he doesn't go back to the Old Testament. Why? They don't know anything about the Old Testament. 
He, he starts just talking about how God works in creation and sends rain and, and, and provides for their crops. He's starting right where they are, not with what he knew, but right with where the people are and explained to them about creator God and who he was. But um, it didn't go well. They weren't interested in hearing what Paul had to say, um, which for me, I don't, I don't know about you, but when you step into any kind of ministry, we kind of have an expectation, maybe a little bit like John Mark at Cyprus, that, hey, God's called me, I'm doing this, and people are going to get on board. That's not always the case. There may be a coworker or a family member that God has laid on your heart to share Christ with, and they're just not open to the truth of the gospel at this point in time. And so we're prone to get super frustrated when that happens. Does that make sense to any of you? We step out there and do something in ministry and people don't respond, we're prone to get frustrated. Anybody with me? But it helps me to know that the greatest missionary and evangelist the church has ever had went to places and people didn't, it didn't respond very well. So they didn't respond to his teaching. And in fact, let's grab our Bibles now and pick up in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. We're still in uh, Lystra. And they're trying, Paul and Barnabas are trying to explain to them, hey, we're mere men. We want you to give up these vain and worthless gods that you worship and worship the living God. And they choose not to do that. And in fact, let, let's just read, starting in verse 19, what happens. Uh, it says, then some... Or then, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. So previous stops, these Jews that made it difficult for Paul and Barnabas in these cities, now they're following them, pursuing them, and they won the crowd over. Look at this. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside of the city thinking he was dead. Now, now they wanted to do this in other cities, but they just weren't courageous enough maybe to pull it off. But in Lystra, these dudes are barbarians. This is the wild, wild west. And, and when the Jews get them stirred up and say, hey, we need to stone these guys, they just did it. I mean, he turned them on a dime. And so they take Paul outside the city and stoning, if you know anything about stoning in the ancient world, it wasn't to injure someone. It was clearly to do one thing. It's to kill them. And so Paul is is stoned and he's, he's left for dead, drug outside of the city. Look at verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Are you kidding me? I mean, let's just stop for a minute. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and ease some, some pain for you. I'm out at this point. Like, if, if, you know, I'm under concussion protocol. Get life flight me back. To Antioch, right? That's kind of where I, any of you with me on that? I mean, I can be honest. These are Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. And Paul turns around and goes right back into the city, the same people who stoned him because he wasn't done talking about the living God who had changed his life. Now, let me, let me, let me just tell you something. This is courage, isn't it? And I, what I'm trying to say, and it may disappoint you, but I'm wanting to, I'm not there yet, but this challenges me to go further than where I am. It challenges me to be more courageous for the cause of, of the cause of Christ, right? To be willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. When I, when I see what the apostle Paul did in Lystra, I'm like, man, I need to step up my game. I mean, the Lord convicts me and challenges me uh, by that. So he goes back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby, uh, another city just close to Lystra, um, they go there. They preach the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Now, here's what's fascinating. Derby is the only city of all the cities that Paul visits on this first missionary journey where there isn't just intense opposition. All it says about those in Derby is that they won a large number of converts. And it's on the other side of some intense suffering. I, I got to be honest with you. I don't know if I'm making the trip to Derby after what happened. I would say I think God wants us to end this. 
I think it's time to head home. But they push through that and they complete, we're going to see, they complete the the race that God called them or laid out for them. Please understand this, and I I miss this, and I want to go back. I mean, this is is my fourth time to preach this sermon, and it's very hard because I can't remember if I said it in this service or on Thursday night. Do you understand that? But this was something the Holy Spirit laid out for them to do, called them to do. And they were just following what the Holy Spirit called them to do, all right? So let, let's, let's finish reading this, this section. So they go to Derby, preach. A large number of people are, are one to, to Christ. Then they return to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many trials and many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Now, what are they doing? You remember the cities that it just listed? Look at that on your notes. They're just retracing their steps. Do you see it? Why is that? It had been difficult in all these spots, but they end up at Derby and they go back and make sure that they stop in every place they had been before. Why? To continue to strengthen the churches and to tell them, hey, listen, look at Paul here. I can just imagine Barnabas who said, you know what? Take a look at Paul. You guys have heard what happened at Lystra. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. I mean, he's got the scars to prove it. And he says, if you, if you want to follow Christ, there's going to be tribulations, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be challenges. And they went back and encouraged every single church. And it's really what we're trying to do here. We want to plant churches. Uh, today, on the, Bob talked about on the island of the Dominican and uh, Hispaniola with Haiti and the Dominican. And I think we have five churches that God's used us to start there. We want to start more. We, we have a dream here that in the next couple of years, there will be more people gathering and worshiping around the world in churches that we've helped plant that are worshiping here. Wouldn't that be cool? But we have to live sent. That's, that's important. We've got to give. We've got to pray. And some of you, God's going to call you to, to, to go. But they understand that the church is going to be the, the hope these guys aren't going to be able to stay there with them uh, forever. Uh, verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders, so they're putting organization over the church. An elder is a, a leader over the church for them in each church and with prayer and fasting, committing them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Poseidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, that's on the island of Cyprus, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God. Look at this, look at this. For the work they had What does it say? Completed. I love that. The Holy Spirit called them. They obeyed and they completed the work that God had given them to do. That just challenges me. Do I know the work that God's called me to do? And where, I, where am I right now? Where are you right now in the course of the work that God's called you to do? Would you, would you lean into this today? More than anything, one day, wouldn't you want to stand before the Lord and have completed the work that God's called you to do? Are you with me? Yeah, I want to do that. You see, so I've got to know the work that God's called me to do, and I, I've got to get some swing tips. I've got to understand some things that are going to help me do that better. So if you have your notes, let's go ahead and, and take them out this morning, and let's look at just a couple things because Paul and Barnabas give us a picture of what it means to live missionally, and this is what God's calling you to do. Missionaries aren't just a select group of people uh, around the world. Everybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ is a missionary. You've got to understand your mission field. It may be right here in your neighborhood, or it may be thousands of miles overseas, but we're all called to live missionally. Do you believe that? There's no question. I was with our high school students uh, yesterday, and I, I was saying, listen, to be a follower of Christ, it, it means a lot of things. One of the things it means is you're willing to go and do whatever it is that God's called you to do, to live missionally, to live sent. Now, so how do we do that? Well, the first thing we have to be willing to do is to embrace the uncomfortable. Because uh, think about this. Every stop except for Derby, 
Every stop that Paul and Barnabas made was uncomfortable, right? They faced opposition. They're run out of town. There's a threat on their lives. Then they take them up on that. Paul is stoned. So they, they faced opposition. And so you and I, and boy, I need to hear this today. We have to be willing, if we're going to live missionally, to, to embrace the uncomfortable. I, I play golf a couple times a year, whether I need it or not. I'm not a good golfer. I play in cowboy boots, which is a problem, but I'm just kidding. I was playing a couple years ago with some guys from here that are very good players. And um, my drive, I don't know if you, if you play, my drive, I hit it, and boy, it looks good for a little bit. And then it just, it's like, takes a hard right. And uh, finally, after about the eighth hole, one of the guys said, uh, Pastor, you knew it was coming then, didn't you? He said, do you mind if I help you a little bit? Yeah, I do. No, I said, yeah, fine. So he, I feel like a third grader, right? If you're a third grader, that's, I'm... I'm not, but anyways, I used to be. But so here's this guy standing over me, and he's kind of moving me around and changing the way I stand up and my approach and my grip. He changed all these things, and, and he said, now you go ahead and hit. And I said, well, this feels uncomfortable. He says, let me tell you what's uncomfortable. Watching every shot you have hit up to this point, that is uncomfortable. <laughs> he's right. So he said, just try it. And so even though it was very uncomfortable and it was different, I, I hit. It was the best shot I hit all day. It wasn't great. I'm going to be honest with you. It wasn't great, but it was way better than what I have. Sometimes we have to be willing to embrace the uncomfortable, something that God's calling us to do. My, my wife, I, I love my wife. My wife, we've been here for 20 years. I can't tell you probably how many times folks have asked her to, to kind of speak publicly. My wife loves to teach her small group. She loves to work with children. In fact, if you saw her this morning, she was down in the preschool area. That's where she's comfortable. That's what she loves, and she's great at that. But... Uh, Finally, she felt led to, to speak publicly on Friday night. It was, uh, that was an uncomfortable thing for her to do in some ways because that's not what she's really, really done. But, you know, it's a neat night. And I, I just sit back and I was watching online because I didn't, I didn't want to be that husband who showed up at a women's event. I'm just, right? That's weird. But anyways, I was watching and I was just watching. I was so proud and it was such a neat, it was, such, it was good teaching, it was encouraging. And I thought, you know, that would have never happened had she not embraced the uncomfortable. So how many times in my life am I not willing to embrace the uncomfortable and really experience what God wants to do in our life? That may be a short-term mission trip for you. I don't know what it is. The worst thing I can do, listen, the worst thing I can do is try to guilt you into something. I'm not trying to do that at all. I'm saying just listen to the Holy Spirit. And what is it that he's calling you to do? Uh, for some of you, that, that may be adoption. Some of you, that may be fostering children. Some of you, that may be working in some inner city ministry. For some of you, it's a short-term mission trip. I don't know. For some of you, it's working with middle school boys on Sunday morning in a small group. That's, that's the race that God has laid out for you. But here's what all of those things are going to have in common, a measure of uncomfortability. Is that a word? Just It is now. They're all certainly uncomfortable. So we have to be willing to live more committed to our calling than comfort. You see that? That's what we see. Lord, would you make me willing to live more committed to my calling than to just personal comfort. Here's the second thing. We have to expect opposition. Isn't that what we see in this story? Every single stop on this first missionary trip, there was opposition. For some of you, I want to speak to dads for just a moment. For some of you, again, I'm reminding you, Paul and Barnabas, this is, this is Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. This is the race that God laid out for them. But the race that God's laying out for you is to, is to finally step up and lead your family spiritually, to be that spiritual leader, to have your family weekly here gathering or somewhere gathering to worship with other believers in the Word of God, to lead your family at least once a week in a time to read Scripture and to pray, to really step into that. 
will be willing. Whatever you're going to do, you're going to face some opposition. It may be from a 14-year-old middle schooler, right, that lives in your house who knows everything. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, Paul said, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. He's writing to young Timothy. He says, persecution, suffering, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Can I just ask you, does it feel a little bit better that you know what happened in those spots now because we just have the map and the pointer? You're like, got it. The persecution I endured. Listen to what he says. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. That's where the good stuff is. Hey, don't be afraid of the difficult times. Be looking forward to God's rescue. That's when life gets good, and he will. He's a redeemer. In fact, verse 12, now nobody's going to say amen to this, right? Paul says to Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But you know what? Our God is a redeemer, and we don't shy away from that. Paul experienced that. And, and, and I want to say this about rejection. Realize that rejection may be more a sign of success, not failure. Do you see that? When I'm rejected with the gospel, somebody rejects me in my family, in the office, or if I'm leading a group here this morning at church and, and uh, the middle schoolers in your group didn't listen to what your, your lesson that you had laid out, and you say, That's a that, they seem to reject that, so I feel, I feel like I failed today. You know, sometimes rejection may be more of a sign of success than it is failure. This is my opinion. Don't email me and tell me I'm wrong. I, I probably am. I'm not so sure this isn't what happened to John Mark because Cyprus occurred and it was a lot of rejection there. And he just wasn't prepared. In fact, so many believers I know that start out living missionally at the first sign of rejection, they feel like a failure when it's probably just the opposite, all right? Now, let, let's move on to the third thing that I want you to see here uh, today. If you're going to live missionally, we've got to embrace the uncomfortable. We've got to be willing to expect opposition and, and, and we've got to engage in, in preparation. I want you to see this, and I, I, don't, I don't want you to miss this, because we'd be prone to believe that the events that happen in this first missionary journey, that Paul sits out on a missionary journey for two years and wins all these converts and, and does all that, and that's just right after the Damascus Road experience where he's saved. That's not true. It could have been five or ten years that Paul is being trained and he's being discipled and he's prepared for the work that God's called him to do. Listen, if you're going to be used for the work that God's called you to do, there's going to be a measure of preparation. The problem is we don't have a real plan for our preparation. We don't set any, any deadlines. L listen to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. If you're going to live missionally, we've got to engage in our own preparation spiritually. Paul says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and watch this, last, watch this last line, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Let's be real clear about something. People, you can disagree with me, but I want to make sure you know what you're disagreeing with. Here, here, people, a lot of people disagree with the statement I'm about to make, but I'm at least consistent, and I think it's biblically accurate. I don't think there's a situation any human being you will ever face is going through that the word of God doesn't have truth to apply directly to that situation. Now, I believe that. Now, I don't, I, don't, you know, I don't think we run around and just thump people over the head with a Bible and, and you know, we just got a verse for, for everything. And I think we, we earn the right in many ways to share the truth of who Jesus Christ is to us. That's what you see with Paul and Barnabas. I mean, they don't roll into Antioch with signs like turn and burn 
I mean, they roll in and just sit in the back and in the synagogue, and they're just listening, and then they get a chance to speak, and they take advantage of that, and they're unapologetic to share the truth of Christ. You see the approach? It's very cool, isn't it? And, and, and so we don't do that. I mean, we don't, we, don't, we don't create opportunities many times as believers. We're just always involved in arguments, which is a whole other message. I'm not even going to get in there. But today we're talking about engaging in your preparation. This is what Paul did, and God used that in a powerful way. You, you can't play without some knowledge of the playbook. Do you agree with that? And so how are you going to do that? Now, let me say this. I said this in the last service. I'm not sure how well it went over. If there's a career change that you want to have in the balcony, are you with me? If there's a career change that you want to have or there's, you need some level of certification to get in order to go to the next level in your career, you're going to make some sacrifices to learn what you need to learn so that you can be prepared to, to pass a test and, and move on. Won't you do that? Whatever that is. But somehow spiritually, we're just not willing to really engage in really growing and preparing ourselves spiritually. We're just content to kind of go through the motions. And so how would you really engage in a preparation plan? Well, here's what, here's what I would say. You know, years ago, I, 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 uh, Amy wanted to run a half marathon. I knew it was a lousy idea. Um, she wanted us to start running, which was a lousy idea. Let me say that uh, for me. And, and so she signed us up for a half marathon. And I was like, oh, no. I'm literally going to die if I don't train. Knowing that there was a deadline coming, that I'm going to have to run 13 miles, I got up in the morning and ran because it was, it was coming, right? And, and I think in some ways that, that's kind of how we are in our life. We need, we need a deadline, don't we? What if you said this time next year, by Thanksgiving next year, I want to feel like I'm prepared to lead a Bible study in my home. I'm going to go to work. By Thanksgiving next year, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be prepared. So how would you even start in your preparation? Let me give you a couple things that you might do. I would say, who's the godliest person you know in your life? The person in your life that most resembles Jesus Christ, go to them. Guys, find that man in your life here in the church, in the community you work with and whatever. Go to him and say, would you spend one year once a week meeting with me and teaching me the Word of God? My sense is they'll probably take you up on that. The second thing I might say is, how many of you are in a small group? Let me see your hand. Are you in a small group? I'm raising my hand because I'm in a small group. Go to your small group leader and say, I want to lead next week. Give me the text. Give me whatever. I've never taught before. It scares me to death. But I want to lead. If you, if you sign up to lead a small group, you're embracing the uncomfortable and you're engaging in your preparation. Uh, my wife, I'm, I'll have to tell this story. I thought it was great. One, one morning this week, I, I knew she got up early. I wasn't sure how early. And she's down, she's preparing, and I walk down, it's like 6.30, I come down, get a cup of coffee. I said, you got up early? She said, yeah, I got up early, I just needed to study, look over some stuff. I said, what time did you get up? She said, 1.30. What? <laughs> like, that's late, that's not early, you know? But that, that's just an example. Like, if you know something's coming, you're going to teach, you're going to prepare. But see, I think we have to put some things like that in our life. There's a guy in, in my group, he came to faith in Christ last year, um, never been in church in his entire life. One of the very few people I've ever met in the South who said, I've never been to a church, not Christmas, not Easter, nothing, right? And, and so he asked to lead one, one week. I, I kind of challenged. I'm giving, I gave them the challenge I'm giving you. And, I, and he, he was the first one. He said, you know what? I'd like to do that. Give me the Scripture. Give me the text. He didn't say text. He said, just give me the Scripture. So we gave it to him. He comes into class. 
He's got six or seven pages of notes on that yellow legal pad note stuff. I mean, he's written, he jumps in. I mean, he, he gets us settled down really quick, right? Because new Christians are legalists. You know that. You guys, be quiet. It's time to study the Bible. <laughs> They're like, whoa, all right. New sheriff in town. <laughs> he jumps in, and, man, he teaches, and it is good. He's got notes. I mean, he's, he's connecting this story to the previous story and to the next. I'm like, who is this guy? And after it was over, he said, boy, that helped me. I guess. I guess. You see, that's the key. I mean, jump out there. I mean, engage in your preparation, and God will use that in such a powerful way. Let, let, me, let me close with this. Let me close with this. If you want to live missionally, we have to embrace the uncomfortable. I think about Becky. You guys are sitting over here. You know, the first time I met Becky, we, we were um, in, in the summer, we were in uh, the Dominican Republic. It was so hot, and we were digging a trench from this uh, outside of this tilapia pond. I'm a preacher. I don't, I'm not a guy who does a lot of manual labor, full disclosure. And I've also learned, I drink about three cups of coffee here. You don't drink three cups of Dominican coffee and then go out in the heat. It, it, ends, it ends real bad. And uh, she is just, I mean, we're working, and I'm ill. I'm sweating. I'm mad. I'm like, this is goofy. And she comes over, and she is working me under the table. It's unbelievable, you know. And, and she is encouraging me. And challenged me. The, the first time I ever met her was on a mission trip. And she's doing exactly what we're talking. If there was anybody who really embraced opposition and difficulty, it was her. But here's the last thing. If you want to live missionally, you better get ready for this, to experience the adventure. I wear cowboy boots. I'm not a cowboy. Why do I wear cowboy boots? I mean, this morning I got a Western shirt on. I'm like Toby Keith. Remember his song, I Should Have Been a Cowboy? I love the chorus of that song. Don't go buy a Toby Keith album. Pastor Brady said it ministers to his soul. No, 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 I'm not saying. Toby Keith, I should have been a cowboy. I, I should have learned to rope and should have learned to rope and ride. I'd be wearing my six-shooter, riding my pony on a what? Cattle drive. Come on. Stealing the young. Well, we'll quit with right there. I love that song. Should have been a cowboy. That's why, I mean, I wear boots because there's something inside of me as a dude. I'm like, I should have been a cowboy. I could have been. Like if Amy and I lived 250 years ago and everybody was going west, I'd have probably said, hey, baby, let's do this. Let's load up. Chances of me getting scalped are minimal. It already looks like I have. <laughs> Here's my point. I think the church is bored. I think the church is bored. I think if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, listen to me, I think there's a longing in your soul. I think there's an unmet need in your soul to make a difference, to escape the mundane and for a moment step into the frightening. I mean, sorcerers, stoning. I mean, like, that may be a little much, but when Paul went to Lystra, that was the Wild West, and he said, settle up. I want that. You want adventure in your life? Start living missionally. Start living missionally. In Erwin McManus's book, The Barbarian Way, it's a great book, by the way. Listen, listen, to, a, listen to a quote from, from his, his book. It's really cool. 
Jesus beckons his followers to a path that's far from easy. It's a path filled with adventure, uncertainty, and unlimited possibilities. The only path that can fulfill the deepest longings and desires of your heart, this is the barbarian way. To give your heart to the one who can make you fully alive. To unleash the untamed faith within you. To be consumed by the presence of passionate and compassionate God. To go where he sends, no matter the cost. That's the barbarian way. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is for you. For, for some of you, I, my, my guess is there's probably somebody in this room and God may be calling you to another country to be involved in planting churches there. For, for some of you, God may be calling you to another city. I've been texting this morning with Brian. Brian and Katie left our church there in Boston, starting a church in a very difficult place. And we have people, five, six, seven folks that are leaving, some already have left our church and they're moving to Boston to help plant that church. Do you know they started their first event, Grace City Church just had a Bible study, 70 people showed up there to study God's word. Yeah, that's cool. Some of you, God may be calling you to do that to, to other cities. Some of you, God may be calling you to a new spot in the city. Now again, please, please, please don't leave here saying, Pastor Brady said I should have sold, sold my house and, and did, no. I'm saying listen to the Holy Spirit. I don't know what he has for you, but he's got something because he's ascending God. I, I, I know a couple that sold their dream house so that they could move next door to a crack house for the glory of God. You might look at that and say, that's nuts. They look at it and say, it's satisfying the deepest longing of our soul. Because that's what you were made for if you're a follower of Christ. That's what you're made for. Paul gives us a glimpse of what we could be committed to Christ. Here's uh, two things I'll close. One of the things I told you before, one of my visions for our church, I, I wish you would share this, is that there would be more people gathering around the world in churches that we've helped, we've helped plant in the next three years than are gathered here on a weekend. That's cool, isn't it? I believe it can happen. The other vision I have for our church, people think I'm crazy. To be honest, I don't think you have a, if people aren't calling you crazy, you probably don't have a God-sized vision. I have a vision that every street in our city, every street in our city would have a small group that's meeting every week to pray for each other, encourage each other, for their neighbors and their friends and study God's word. That we could look at a map and see every street in our city would have that. I mean, I dream that builders would say, you know what, we need, we need a new vision floor plan because we used to build with this bonus room. Nobody wants that. They want a room for their community group now. They also want a room for childcare that's completely rubber and they can just bring it to the hose pipe after the group's over and just hose it down. Do you have that? Yeah, that'd be great. That's a new vision plan. Some of you, God's calling you to leave your group and start a group. Some, some of you, God, is calling you to leave your seat today and get in a group. That's going to be a part of your plan. But he's calling you. The deepest longings of your soul, listen, the deepest longings of your soul will never be fully met until you begin to live missionally. I believe that's true. Where are you on your journey? Do you know what God's called you to do? Where are you on your race? How close are you to completing the work that God's called you to do? And then lastly, can I close with this? Some of you are like, Psh, that's weird embracing the uncomfortable yes yeah, sign me up for that experiencing opposition sweet I don't want anything that you're talking about like this whole idea of living missionally that's nuts 
I don't have a longing for that. I don't know what you people are drinking, but I'm not drinking it. I was dishonest earlier. Paul and Barnabas, that wasn't the first missionary trip. First missionary trip happened earlier than that. Remember I said our God's ascending God? God sent his son on the first missionary trip. God sent his son here because there was a debt hanging over your head that you could never repay. And you were hopelessly and eternally lost. And that's why he left the comforts of heaven to come and take your penalty and pay it in full and rescue you. That was the first missionary trip. And you will never live sent until you realize why he was sent. That's for you. And fall deeply in love with that. It changes everything. I want to introduce you to a day, today to this Jesus who has given up everything so that you could be forgiven and set free and live a life beyond your wildest dreams. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Father, thank you for this first missionary trip. Thank you for how it challenges our faith. Lord, thank you for how it confronts us today. Here was a man that just years before was a skeptic bent on destroying the church now because he met you is risking his life to plant churches Father I believe this you're ascending God help us be a church who responds to the race that you've laid out in front of us in Jesus name Amen Thanks for tuning in if you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.